Hello, everybody. Welcome to our SIBKL online service. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to have you today with us. We have transited into a new series, and I'm quite excited about this series. It's actually a series on the book of Revelations. Last week, we had an overview of the entire book. This week, we are going to have an overview of the seven letters to the seven churches found in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Now, I'm not going to open it up, but I encourage you to read through it in your own time or the pause stream or video and have a quick look at it and then come back here. We are going to be doing from the pulpit the seven letters to the seven churches However, later on in the year, in sometime in May, I believe, our senior pastor, Pastor Chiu, is actually going to be doing a more in-depth and thorough study of every chapter and every verse in the book of Revelations. There's going to be a special seminar that you need to sign up for. So look out for the information and when the opportunity arises, jump onto it, get into it. But let's first and foremost have a broad overview of the seven letters to the seven churches here. Now, why the number seven or why these seven churches? First of all, the number seven in the Bible represents a completion or the number of perfection, a whole set, if you like. Seven goes throughout the Bible. In the beginning, God created the world and rested in seven days. And if we look at the different feasts, like for example, the Passover that the Jewish people had, they will last seven days. Even in Revelation, the number seven runs throughout. There's the seven plagues, the seven bowls, the seven lampstands, seven crowns, seven heel, hills, and seven, seven, lots of number sevens there. It's, it represents a complete set, wholeness. Just like when you were to purchase something, you will want to buy a whole set. I don't know whether any of you are into this thing called the Thermomix, also known as the German-made. Any of you have that? When you buy something like a Thermomix, you will buy the whole set. The mixer, the bowls, the motors, whatever it is, you will want the whole set. If you were to watch a series, a K-drama series, for example, or any, any show, you will want to watch the whole series. You don't want to stop halfway or only start towards the end. You want to watch the whole thing. You want to see the complete picture of what the story is about. For those of us who are into suits, you know, like where we buy out or different outfits, you will want to buy the whole set. Uh, some of you got matching couple tees. I don't know, right? You want a whole set to that as well. And when we look at these seven letters to the seven churches, well, we can see that this is actually Jesus' message to the seven churches, a complete message for all the churches represented at that point of time, even up till now. So as we look at the book of Revelation, as we look at the seven letters to the seven churches, it is not just a study, but it's a message from the Lord to you and I, not just to the church, but to each and every one of us as Christians. Now, where were these seven churches located? They were based in this region called Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor today is known as the country Turkey. 
if you know your geography a little bit, you will know that Turkey is actually a connecting point between Europe and Africa and Asia. If you don't believe me, go and whip out Google Maps now or if you still have a globe, it's those spinny little things in your house, go take a look at that. And not only was Asia Minor the connecting point between two different continents, it was also the place of a major trading and economic region. And the seven churches were in seven cities that were the main locations, if you were like, in Asia Minor. So I'm going to pull up this map here. If you look at this map, you will see that these cities are kind of arranged like in a formation, a circular formation. So very often, a merchant would start off his or her trading route in the city of Ephesus. And from Ephesus, they will go all the way up to Smyrna. And from Smyrna to Pergamum, or also known as Pegamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, coming back down to Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. So the reason why John wrote this, this um, the book of Revelation, as well as a message to these churches in this region, is because as the letters were going to each city, it will also now ensure that the message will be passed on to different continents and different regions. The, the route that I just mentioned to you was also the imperial postage route of the Roman Empire. So that's how they would distribute letters. And back then, when they distributed letters to the churches, it wasn't just for personal consumption. It was to be read out in public to the whole church. So this was the message that John was giving to the seven churches from Jesus via the Holy Spirit. And on top of that, John, at this point of time, John the Apostle, who was the author of the book of Revelations, was exiled in the island of Patmos, which was just off Asia Minor. So it would have been easy for him, easier for him rather, to get this letter across. Now, as we look at this seven letters to the seven churches, an overview, I've highlighted key similarities. Each churches have their own distinctions and differences, but I will highlight some of the similarities that Jesus speaks to these churches and we can apply it for our message or study today. The first thing is this, in each and every one of his messages or letters to the churches, Jesus says this, I know. I know what you are going through. I know what you are struggling with. I know what you are battling. I know what you are also not doing rightly. And when God says, I know, it is both a comfort and a challenge. It is both comforting to know that God knows our struggles and our troubles, but also challenging to realize that God knows our complacency, He knows our sin, He knows our hypocrisy, even when we think nobody else notices. This is saying, Jesus comes to comfort the disturbed, but He also disturbs the comfortable. As we go about this study, I pray that God will not only comfort those of us who, comfort, who needs comfort, but He will also challenge and encourage some of us
to go to the next level of our faith. So when Jesus says, I know, He knows what the seven churches are going through and what they are doing. And right here, I want to show you, Jesus had commendations for all the churches except Laodicea. If you look at this chart, you will see in Ephesus, the Lord says, I recognize you are a persevering and hardworking and discerning church. In Smyrna, He knows that they are an afflicted church. They are poor and He knows how they are being slandered and accused falsely. In Pergamum, the Lord knows that they are faithful even though they are in the midst of a corrupted culture and facing persecution. In Thyatira, the Lord commends them that they are faithful, loving, persevering, going the extra mile. And in the church of Sardis, He mentions few of them have not soiled their clothes. They have kept their purity and are walking in the light. And in Philadelphia, the Lord says of this church, I know the deeds. I know your deeds. I know that you are, in spite of being weak, you are still enduring patiently. And this is a comfort for many of us because the Lord knows what we are going through. And we only need the Lord's recognition and acknowledgement. Paul echoes this in Galatians 1 verse 10 where he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I will not be a servant of Christ. Very often as we live out our Christianity, as we serve God, as we exercise our faith, the one person that we should looking to impress or to get approval from is God Himself. It doesn't matter if we don't get credit. It doesn't matter if other people doesn't recognize what we are doing. What matters is that God knows. And I hope that is of comfort to some of us listening today. But yet the Lord, if you look at across the seven letters, the Lord says, I know, but He also adds, yet. I know you're doing all this, yet. And right now, I want to show you the concerns that the Lord had for these seven churches. Open up this chart here and you will see, for Ephesus, he was concerned that they have forsaken their first love. For Smyrna, he, the Lord actually doesn't mention anything because he's quite sympathetic towards Smyrna, how they were uh, poor and afflicted. But for Pergamon, he was concerned how some of them were holding to false teachings or practicing sexual immorality, and even holding on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, teachings that did not line up with Christianity. For Thyatira, the Lord says that they tolerate the spirit of Jezebel, which has misled many to sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. That's a very interesting topic right there, but I won't go into it. For Sardis, He's concerned that while they look alive on the outside, but on the inside, they are dead. Oh, I wonder how many of us have the appearance of faith, but on the inside, we need a touch or regeneration from the Lord. For Laodicea, he is concerned for the church, how they, their wealth has caused them to become complacent. They think they are okay but the Lord says, in reality, strong words. They are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
And I wonder, as we look at this chart, how many of us can identify with some of the words that are on the screen? Or how many of us are actually going through some of these things where the Lord commends us for doing certain things, but in other areas of our life, the Lord has some concerns. And I want us to recognize that when the Lord points something out, when God points something out in our lives, it's not to condemn us, it's actually to convict us and then to correct us because the Lord wants us to grow. The Lord wants us to become better. Proverbs 3 verses 11 to 13 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves. And as a father, the son He delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. When we heed the Lord's correction, we will gain wisdom and understanding. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And as we listen, as we go through this series of the seven churches, it is a good time now to examine our faith to test ourselves. Why? Because a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. It is actually not a bad thing to put our own faith, not the faith of others, not the life of others, but our own under scrutiny so that we can see what areas can we improve in. Now, it's not again a self-condemning thing or it's not a a thing where we want to be critical of ourselves uh, too much. No, we want to better ourselves. We want to ensure that we are on the right path. It's like when we have a car, I don't know whether many of you actually do this. If you don't, you should. You know, if you have a car, if you go and check your tire pressure quite often, what you, if you check your car or if you check the oil levels and all that, what you would do is you will go and scrutinize every part of the car. Some of you who are car lovers do this every day, right? You scrutinize every part of the car. You make sure there's enough pressure in the tires. You make sure there's enough water in the radiators. Make sure the oil levels are okay. Make sure the fuel levels are okay. Make sure everything's okay. The coolant's all right. And as we do that, what are we doing? We are not saying the car is bad or evil or, is, or, or needs to now to be corrected all the time. No, we are ensuring that the car continues to be able to perform at its peak performance without any interruptions or troubles. And the same for us. When we scrutinize, when we take a look at our faith, we want to see that we are walking right with the Lord, that we are walking in step with what God wants us to do. Now, the other thing that I noticed in the seven letters is God uses this phrase very, in all letters. He says this, He who has ears, let him hear. That's a strange thing, right? Because most of us have ears. I, I, I think that's quite a safe assumption. All of us have ears. But it's one thing to actually hear. It's another thing to actually really listen. Those of us who have kids would know this. You tell your kids, do this. They hear you, but they don't necessarily will actually listen and follow through with what you want to do. Those of us with husbands would also experience that, right? We tell our husbands, please do this. Please fix the light bulb. Please go and service the car. Please take out the trash. And they just go, oh. Ah, eh, oh, <laughs> and they acknowledge it, but they may, you know, it's a different thing if they actually follow 
true. Whether they are actually listening to what we are saying. And in the same manner, God is always speaking. God constantly speaks. In fact, none of us Christians and believers should ever say, God has not spoken to me and yet our Bible remains closed. No, God has spoken through the Word of God and He's continued to speak and He wants to speak even through our study of the book of Revelations. Isaiah 6 verse 9, there's a charge by God where He says, be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. I don't want to be that type of person where I hear but I don't understand, where I see but I don't actually see. And the key for us as believers is simply this, James 1 verse 22, where it says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling themselves, yourselves. How many of us can, you know, we have go to church. We listen to sermon after sermon after sermon. We've been to conferences, seminars. We've been to prayer meetings and all these different things. We have heard so much, so much. We've heard so many things so many times in this age of, um, in this digital age, but how much of it has actually become internalized into our hearts and we are walking it out. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. When these letters were received by the church, what they would do is they would open it up and they would read it to the whole church. And that's what the Lord says, he who has ears, let them hear. So across the seven letters, I mentioned Christ had some concerns and he had some commendations. And now I want to show you the charge that he had for each church. For Ephesus, he tells them to remember and repent and remember his grace. Return to their first love. In Smyrna, he tells them to do not fear, to remain faithful in the midst of persecution, even to the point of death. Pergamum, he says, repent or face judgment. In Thyatira, he tells them to reject the spirit of Jezebel. In Sardis, he tells them to wake up. Wake up. In Philadelphia, he says to continue holding on and they will be vindicated at the end. In Laodicea, he invites the church to come and trade with him. Not just trade in the world, but to trade with him, to put on white linens, to apply salt to their eyes, to see as how God would see. And I know that as we go through this study, there'll be lots of things that we can pick up across the sermons of the seven letters to churches. And I hope that we would have ears to hear. And the other thing that's quite commonplace across these letters is that Christ will crown us with rewards. Christ will give rewards to these churches depending on their obedience. Listen to this. God's rewards are predicated upon our responses. God wants to reward and bless us, but it is up to us to choose whether we want to respond to Him, whether we want to seek Him, whether we want to follow His ways. Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 to 16 says this, See, 
I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him and to keep His commands, decrees and laws, and then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Elsewhere, Matthew 6, 19, 20 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And what kind of reward we will get from Christ is exactly those kind of rewards where moths and thieves cannot touch it, where there will be no decay. And I want to have that kind of blessing and that kind of reward from God. But it is up to us to respond, to say yes to God. It is not up to me or anybody else here to convince us that this is the way to go. No, we have to decide that yes, I want to follow Jesus. I can't just ride on the faith of my spouse. I can't just ride on the faith of my parents or my grandparents or my friend. No, I have to make that decision. And if you see, what does Christ crown these churches with? Really quickly, let me show you. In Ephesus, He crowns them with the fruit from the tree of life. In Smyrna, He tells them, I will give you the crown of life and I will keep you from the second death. For Pergamum, he says, I will give you hidden manna from heaven, white stones with a new name. In Thyatira, he tells them, I will give you the rule over the nations and the morning star. In the church of Sardis, he says that they will walk with Jesus. They will be clothed in white and they will not have their names blotted out and they will have acknowledgement from God their Father. The church of Philadelphia they will be protected. I, I want this. They will be protected from a great time of testing. They'll be given victory and made pillars in the temple of God and be given citizenship in heaven. For the church of Laodicea, they will give, God will give them the ultimate victory to sit on the throne with Jesus. All of this is contingent and dependent on whether they respond and obey what God has said to them. So when God comes with us with concerns and charges, we can't just swat him off or rule him out like some naggy parent or uh, a naggy authority figure. No, we must trust that indeed God wants the best for us and our lives. Not our best, but His best. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8 says this, Therefore, my dearest brother, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the last thing, the last thing I, I, want, I notice across these seven letters is Christ. Christ is present in all seven letters. He identifies Himself. He is the great I Am coming to the churches, coming to you and I to speak to us. So let me show you the title of Christ in all seven letters. In Ephesus, He's called the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven lampstands. 
in Smyrna. He is the one who is first and last, who died and came to life again. In Pergamum, he calls himself the one who wields the sharp, double-edged sword. In Thyatira, he identifies himself as the one whose eyes are blazing fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. In Sardis, he tells them he is the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In Philadelphia, he is the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, and he alone opens and closes doors. In Laodicea, he is of the Amen, the faithful one and the true ruler of God's creation. These are the titles of Christ. Now, you may not completely understand each and every one of them, but know this, that this that God is present. He is present in all seven letters, present in all seven unique situations. So He's also present now in all of our lives, in your lives. No matter what you are going through, no matter what state your faith is in, trust that God has a message for you this morning as well as the upcoming studies in the seven churches that we will be having. And I will sum up by reminding us that in the seven churches or the seven letters of seven churches, God says, I know. He knows you and I. But yet, there are some areas that God wants to point out. Not to judge us, not to condemn us, but as he, we respond to His charge, God wants to actually now reward us, bless us. But most importantly, God is present, the Christ in the letters. And I mentioned in the start of the sermon that the letter, the number seven, is a number of completion, of wholeness, of perfection. And do you know that Jesus has seven I am's? And this is what he says about himself. The seven I am's of Jesus. First of all, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also says that I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus also declares that he is the good shepherd. He is the gate. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life and he is the true vine. This is who Jesus is and this is what He has to say to the seven churches. And more importantly, not just the seven churches that we are about to study, but the words or the declaration, the promises that God wants to give us to our lives even as we embark on this study. I hope this study, I hope this overview rather helps you and gives you a, prepares you rather for what is to come in the coming weeks. Right now, I just want us to respond to today's message. I hope some part of the message spoke to you and I trust that you got something. But as we go along this study, it is not about gaining more knowledge, but it's about knowing God more. And let's respond to Jesus today. Come, let's sing this song together. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. You know, today could have been a little bit more theological or more teaching-like than what you're used to. But I know that 
this is a message for you and I in this time and this season that God knows what we are going through. God knows. And whatever that you are facing right now, I want you to trust that God has a greater plan. I want you to trust in Him. I want you to know that if you hold tight, like how He said to some of these churches there, to endure, to correct what needs to be corrected, but to endure, you will see the good hand of the Lord coming upon you. For those of you who feel like you're losing steam, even in this midst of this online environment, I want to urge you to keep on keeping on because you will see the Lord soon. Not in the, you know, in a way that uh, you think, but you will see the hand and blessing of God upon your life. But if you have any prayer needs, I want to encourage you right now to go into our prayer online uh, room, which is going to be here. You can see this link connect with someone get someone to pray with you and pray for you and if you have anyone or, or know anybody who wants to receive Christ for the very first time I want to encourage you to get them to come to this link as well and if you are attending or watching this and you're not connected to us as a community yet can I encourage you can I urge you why don't you get connected today find a ministry uh, either a youth group uh, within our church or a cell group or even a older generational group you can find you can go to this link and find out how you can be connected because these churches they were communities they were letters not written to individuals but communities and this year our theme is together we overcome the togetherness and indeed we will overcome together amen come let me close in prayer right now thank you jesus father i thank you for this day i thank you for all these people listening in i pray that as we listen to what was being expounded and taught today we will indeed start a journey of not just learning but applying and internalizing what we hear over the next couple of weeks I pray, Lord, that you speak and you continue to speak to us throughout this series. That way, Lord, we can draw closer to you and that way we can indeed become more than overcomers as what your word says. We thank you, Lord. We give you back all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church and faith family for tuning in. God bless you and we'll see you again. Get connected to us. Get prayer if you need to. But for now, bye-bye. See you again.